Yeah, so we've got a special a special episode. I'm here with Kristen uh, Langalis. Is that right? Is that how you pronounce her last name? You know, it's it's an Ellis Island bastardization, so you can take it <laughs> however you like. I think. Yeah, and, uh, I, and I, I, I've said I've said Langalis, but okay. you know that has too spread of a vowel. I I've been thinking of changing to saying it Langalis for a while. Hell yeah, it's a little more long. You know. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it has, you know, <laughs> sart- sartorial in a, in a yeah. sense. But yeah, and Edward. Um, yes. Um, Urbit is a project that I've been really, really fascinated by for actually a, a, for a decent amount of time. But I've, I'm now just starting to like get get into the weeds a little bit and actually check it out and make that next step. And it's an incredibly cool project because I think it solves a lot of problems for people, but not only does it solve problems for people, it's also aesthetically and conceptually really interesting and cool. Uh, so if you guys want to like jump in and, and, you know, give, give your thoughts on that. Um, totally, totally. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm always really happy to, uh, sort of tell people the story of my own sort of, uh, urbit discovery because um i think it sort of underlines a lot of what i sort of see uh myself at, at the very least continuing to attempt manifesting you know in its sort of uh it's it's sort of presence aesthetic and otherwise so uh this won't take very long um the context setting moment here is that um back in around i want to say 2015 or 16 or so i was actually uh located in austin working at IBM and sort of deep in the guts of, you know, the hyper corporate B2B uh, sort of uh, like strata of that, of that sort of situation. And it was sort of like deep in that, that I came across this thing called Urbit, just sort of like through happenstance. I think it was just through a mutual friend who was also sort of connected to like artist space more or less. And um, I feel like the distinct feeling that I recall encountering when I saw the project, learned a little bit more about it, was that I was sort of like psychically encountering this block of like marble or brass, like just in sort of being a complete normie at the time, not really knowing much about programming or anything deep about that. There was just this really very, very strong like force emanating from the project that at the time, like I didn't really um, like derive or sense from a lot of other software projects out there, Um, which was weird because like, you know, uh, this sort of heavily physical feeling, this like force uh, emanating from the project, I think is something that like to this day, I'm still like, oh man, how do you manifest this, this like viscerally, you know, in people? Um, it's kind of a bit of a, a meme in like my own uh, work, I'd say, but it's, I feel like I'm very strongly less about sort of like visual uh, sort of uh, like affect more or less and more about that sort of more deeply embodied like physicality that a project can bring about. So yeah. That's it. End of story. That's stupid. uh, Land says that BTC can solve the problems of space and time. Do you think Urbit can do that? (laughs) Because I think Um, Urbit solves a lot of of issues in terms of the way people deal with temporality. Because basically, it's like, this is is my basic understanding. So it turns your computer... Mm -hmm running off ETH, it turns your computer into its own private network server, sure. which can, is, it's like internet 3.0. So through cryptography, 
you can basically have your own internet. And is that is that correct or? Uh, yeah. It, like, I mean, give I, me give just like total layman's terms. Totally. What what does this solve? And Christian, I don't know if you want to jump in or whatever you guys. Sure. Want. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll let do, Ed yeah. take that, and then and then maybe I'll introduce myself. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't want to take up too much of the of the floor, so to speak. But I, I can totally answer this in a pretty attenuated way. I feel like the way that I sort of tell people the story of what Urbit is is actually like incredibly stupid or just like very dumb. Um, not in the sense that people need to have it be told in a dumbed down way. But when you really, really get down to the core of it, what Urbit is trying to be is a new personal computer. Like, that's it. That's like the end of the story. The sort of novelty comes about in the realization that the the the, the many layers that Unix, uh, the sort of uh, the other sort of competitor, I would say, you know, the operating system from the 70s, um, like this thing is, is millions of lines of code long. It's uh, impossible for any single one human to really fully you know, wrap their mind around. And I think in more visceral way than not, Urbit is trying to be this thing that is like a long book. You know, if you really apply yourself uh, and you actually try to go about reading it, this is something that you could read in like, you know, a couple days, in a week, if you really tried to, you know, it's something that can actually be fully embodied by a single, you know, person, like a single individual. And um, I think for this reason, it's really good and sort of maybe appropriate to call it you know, truly human scale computing. You know, it's not like a massive server. It's not like this Cthulhu-like network of like, uh, you know, like psychic entities out in the ether. It's something that can actually be like embodied physically. Yeah, I, um, I almost see it as like a post-art project. Yeah, I could see that too. You know, that's actually, a lot of people throw that as a as a critique or a sort of like insult to the project, but I don't I don't, I don't find that to be an insult at all. I think that's one yeah. of the, the defining and, and actually like, drawing characteristics of mm. of what it is because you know it's got it's got a really cool design aesthetic there's um between the planets and the stars and there's like an entire cosmology and i don't know christian if you want to answer this this conceptually because i i know you guys have this idea that like fiat currency is somehow satanic and <laughs> uh, um yeah Sure. Um, and, and let me briefly state, I, th I think that there's a paucity of art projects out there. Uh, there aren't enough projects that are trying to elevate what they're doing to the realm of art. Um, defense distributed comes to mind, of course, uh, in the way that they have always, you know, portrayed themselves in media. Uh, there just aren't uh, th there's a there's a willingness, a sort of pathetic willingness with most with most projects to either uh, they either ape sort of cyberpunk uh, or they have you know humans of flat and it's there's there's no uh, there's no positive vision in between the two of those so. Uh, with that, uh, <laughs> with that remark out of the way, yeah, I did find Urbit by way of Bitcoin, and I found Bitcoin by way of the, you could call it the, the falsehood of, of fiat currency. So, I'm from Connecticut, Fairfield County, was uh, you know groomed, <laughs> the groomer, 
got me to uh, you know, begin preparing for my career in finance long before I had you know, you know, gone to college. I, I grew up interning at hedge funds. I worked on a currency trading desk in uh, Latin America. And, you know, as I started racking up these, you know, experiences in the financial services, you begin to see, it, at least if you were like me and you had read, you know, just a, a, a even a small amount, a skosh of uh, any sort of free market, less fair economic theory, you could see that fiat currency just absolutely does not comport with uh what you know the, the the free market sort of un uh, uninterventionist way of, of conducting a market would be and so that turned me off from you know going into finance and at the same time along came this amazing project bitcoin uh swept me off my feet and uh you know it it became sort of this you know, you enter into this jolly mission. I guess Bitcoiners call it the rabbit hole, uh, but it really is just a, a big happy mission with a lot of uh, friendly, uh, mission-driven people to, you know, develop this gigantic body of software and then uh, coup, uh, basically the the military-industrial uh, complex um, by. You know, this sort of, sort of surreptitious uh, advancement of this of this unstoppable network, and so that that's not only a uh, you know an appealing proposition to a sort of young ideological person, but when you combine it with the fact that it if you if you replace uh, the money of the techno capital singularity, there's immense financial opportunity there yeah. as well so <laughs> i know i know a lot of people um who are very divided on 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 crypto on cryptocurrency and i'm personally um of the opinion like i'm not a big fan of nfts i mean obviously mm-hmm. each ethereum is in itself non-fungible but i'm so, talking about like nft art although petra courtright she just released a hundred nfts at like a really low fixed value and i think that's a really cool thing because it's aestheticizing the money in a way that isn't just kind of like replicating these like old zombie careers of like the arts and you know selling them to their patrons but i definitely think there's um there's a lot of opportunity with urbit um as a project for artists as well Absolutely. So right. if you guys want to like run down what some of those things might be, because generally the people who listen are less technically inclined. Myself, I'm not very technically um, proficient or in, in any sort of like computation or anything. I'm mm-hmm. like more just interested in like base, abstract, really out there ideas. And I think Urbit is really cool because it merges those two word worlds together. And I initially found out about Urbit because obviously, you know, Mencius Moldbug and, uh, and a lot of that stuff. And at first I thought it was a highly politicized project, so I didn't really want to touch it. But then I actually realized that what Urbit is trying to solve is 
the overt politicization. Like it is, I think it's actually very politically neutral in a large sense. And I, and I think that's a strength. And I think that's another um, point of exit for people who want to sort of like leave this discursive sphere of the old internet and join something that's a little bit more open and free and expressive. Yeah, totally. Um, to speak, I mean, to speak even for a moment about the sort of uh, earlier question that you had about sort of the promise that Urbit bequeaths artists. Um, I think one of the things that uh, we think about a lot that currently isn't expressed in the system is this notion that in Urbit, given this thing is, um, you know, a, like an infrastructure that is aware of all the things you put on, on it all at once. It's, it's a little bit abstract, but the story here is that you can imagine a world where this object of computation is just a lot more uh, composable in a sort of a, in almost a, a sort of musical manner, so to speak. It's uh, to the point where there's a sort of like a very nascent theory of sort of interface uh, development that could become known as something like arrangements where, you know, you take these uh, fundamental elements of social computing, like a linear chat or, uh, you know, a, like a, a video or something and just smush these things together and end up with an interface of your very own. And I, I guess what, the, what this is promising is uh, in a very real way, I think what Urban is as a substrate for an artist is something that is just um, expressive, but also uh, like not uh, expressive to the point of being sort of confounding or like, you know, confusing as to how you would actually go about manipulating it. Right now it takes on the form of, you know, more or less a discord or a Slack-like sort of, uh, you know, interface construct which is channel-based, but um, I'd like to see it become a little bit more flexible in the near future. And right now, one could, you know, build out something like a personal band camp or what have you, given the uh, objects that we make available. And the Bitcoin integration that we just made is just that much more of a, uh, a sort of a, a, a finessing of that vision. Um, but yeah, you know, we're, we're moving towards something that's going to be very expressive very soon and yeah. already is to a yeah. huge extent. Yeah, Christian, I don't know if, if you want to mention the, uh, the, the new Bitcoin um, integration that you've been working on, or if you want to just talk a little bit about the future of that. And again, um, what what kind of like expressive possibilities can arise from all this stuff? Because I think a lot of people are very, it's, it's really hard for people to get into this kind of thing, just not just conceptually, but um, I think it's easy because there's there's kind of like a visual primer on why they would be interested like me as somebody who's more of an artist i was interested and fascinated by the way everything sort of like looked um mm -hmm. by the concepts behind it and then you know you start to get into this other stuff and you're like oh wow um this is something i can do i can actually just have one group or a page with all my crap on it and just and and kind of like actually curate your own vision or artistic vision or conceptual vision by having everything sort of like lodged in one space. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. So Christian, I don't know if that, if that makes sense to you. It, it does. And I guess what I would say, and this was largely my realization coming into Bitcoin and then follow subsequently coming into Urbit, uh, most services that we use today are essentially, whether it's uh, banking or your streaming subscription, 
or it's your email or your productivity application, your video calling, whatever it is, um, those services are all actually one service. Uh, and that's the, the service of having a server. Um, so from an artist's uh, standpoint, you know, you're using some assemblage of all these services, trying to you know, share your thing, trying to get paid for it. You may have a YouTube account. You may have uh, agreements with Apple Music and Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, what have you. Um, you may have uh, a Squarespace to make your artist's page. You may have you know, all this stuff. Uh, you're, you're nickel and dimed uh, by all of these different services and platforms. Uh, yet they're all selling you different varieties, different interfaces onto the same exact thing, which is just a personal server that keeps track of your data and you know, striates it in a useful fashion for you. Yeah. I mean, and uh, oh, yeah, go ahead, Ed. Yeah. I mean, there's a bit of a, of a really a sort of poetic, poetic construing of this sort of uh, open endedness of the system that had always struck me as just being really sort of a perfect metaphor for what we're trying to build as, as Tlon specifically, which is that like a, a sort of lattice for plants, you know, you can grow roses on it, you can uh, grow grapes on it. Uh, you can grow a variety of vine sort of plants on something like this. But what the structure is fundamentally is just this plain, ordinary thing that uh, is used as that infrastructure for further growth. And uh, in a very real way, especially earlier on, I feel like Tlon had been getting a lot of light criticism from people out in the world that its interfaces felt very bare, um, sort of minimal to the point of fault. But I feel very strongly that you know, in that mission of building what is effectively a lattice to grow things on, that this is sort of like an utmost priority. You mentioned yeah. the whole like flat design thing. And it's like, we're not here to sort of impose a uh, any sort of like aesthetic, aesthetic. vision in that yeah. sort of like, in that spear-like fashion. Like there isn't a story to be told here. But uh, from a sort of visual perspective, the story I, to be told is infrastructural. You yeah, know? but I will say that the way that it that it advertises itself is very sort of like aesthetically appealing. Like, you know, like I talked to Christian, he clearly is, you know, he's a, he's a man of good taste. Uh, we've talked about music and art and, and stuff like that. So, and obviously you are as well. Um, and I think that with the general cosmology, and this is something that I, I hear from people all the time too, like, especially artists, you have to constantly, or musicians or what have you, you have to constantly navigate all these new portals because, I mean, now you have Patreon and that, then you have Spotify is now doing paid podcast subscriptions through Anchor. And like all of these things are sort of like falsely competing with each other. They're competing with each other, but yeah. they're not warranting enough of a, of a service for anybody who's been doing something for a while to switch to, to switch services. It's basically, they're just cynically competing uh, mm. for these kind of like low vibrational newcomers to their platforms that they can basically like rape uh, their content from. And I think one of the cool things about Urbit is it is so 
uncharted in that way that there is no like real Johnny come lately to it. It's like something that you can just go to. Uh, you guys do onboarding programs. Uh, I, like I said, I'm really bad with computers, but even I'm sort of starting to get the hang of it. And you can just sort of like start working on there and it feels like an uncharted, somewhat of like an untouched uh, terrain in a certain sense. And I think that that's something that's really, really cool. But also, who designs the planets and the stars and all of that stuff? Like, because to me, that's the real... If you guys could talk a little bit about that, like the, like the cosmic shit, that's really cool. Oh, yeah. man. I, 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 yeah, you can speak I to think, it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I think that there's a lot... It, it, it comes across like this very coherent system once you understand it. And I think the interesting thing is that it's actually the combination of contributions from many people that understand little, little, only little bits of it. Uh, so for example, the, the galaxies, stars, planets, the hierarchical uh, address space of orbit, you know, that, that began as, you know, the idea to have a federated address space, which is, you know, largely a computer scientist's concern. Uh, but then there's an entire aspect of it, which is, well, you know, what, in terms of making this address space into something that is human legible, how can you, how can you instantiate these numbers uh, in such a way that they are, uh, you know, easy to memorize, easy to uh, view, perhaps even uh, inject beauty and serendipity into their uh, into their appearances and names. So, you know, we we have our our friend Gavin, for example, designed the programmatic way that all of the sigils, as we call them, they're the they're the graphical representations mm. of orbit addresses. Uh, he designed how those appear, the, and he studied, you know, uh, glyphs of all sorts. Uh, the work of Frank Stella comes to mind, uh, trying to design something that could be, you know, beautiful but also informational. Yeah, um, I love that you refer to them as sigils too. That's so cool. There's definitely a. You know, there's definitely like a, a bit of a of a ritual or like a chaos magic component <laughs> to a lot of this stuff that I, I like yeah. that I, I'm really attracted to. And um, yeah, so sorry to sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to say that. No, that's good. They certainly have the the zhuzh, uh that makes dealing with them just so fun and appealing. Uh, but w what I what I mean is that they they represent the contributions of, of many and they're, it's a, as a technology, it actually has many sub components, if you will, uh, that have been designed by people with you know, different skill sets. Like a DAO or? No, I, I just mean that the, um, oh. when you say your planet, your, you know, your planet is not only the, not only the sigil that you have, but it's also the name. So for example, I'm pinned at Timot. Ed is uh, Fablib Faster. And I, what's your planet name? Your Pappy? I keep, I keep forgetting it. 
It's a, it's a, it's a F dot. Uh, no, wait, what is it? God. It's, it's a, like another language for sure. It's something. It's, to, it's another um, language, but warm up to. So, so there's, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's also the actual, the raw, you know, routing technology that it, it exists to interface for. So yeah, it has, it has actually a number that's associated with it that is uh, transacted between cryptographic addresses on a, a public key infrastructure. And, you know, then in terms of the Urbit network, you know, you're using these numbers, they, they are this operational primitive that lets us program applications efficiently and effectively. So there's, uh, there's more than, I guess, meets the eye when you look at them. The, yeah. the, the ultimate effect is, you know, looking at some, some beautiful finished prod, product that has a nice skin, but there's also a, a deep amount of uh, consideration that went into the, the stuff below the surface. But I think, I think having a nice skin is really, really important. It's like, Absolutely. you know, like the Straussian idea of the noble lie. I mean, the, the reason why politicians are so, why they can't spin their lies nobly is because they don't have a good aesthetic skin they have such bad taste that there's no way that they can do anything and it'd be mystifying or enchanting in any way, shape or form. So people just kind of like, I mean, anyone with like a modicum of like taste just looks at them and just laughs hysterically. But also I think a lot about like the five phases in the Tao, you know, how they, they substitute science. They're like, you know what, regular people, you don't need to know science. So here's a like, so here's like an allegorical um, dictionary for you to understand the way the world works. You know, you have like wind, fire, you, ha- you, have, you have basically five phases, five elements, and that's how you break it down for most people. Like most people don't need to know the technical aspects or the scientific aspects. And I mean, at a certain Mm -hmm. point, all science is alchemy and all alchemy is science as well. So it it all kind of, it all kind of like jumbles together in this strange way. And I think again, like the natural sciences, totally boring nerd shit. Like I don't fucking care about it. Just like, tell me, give me a good story that relates to what you're talking about because I just don't fucking care, but also it would make it more interesting for me and for like a lot of other people. And, and so, yeah, like what I was saying earlier that you guys have like a really weird um, project. That's like, it's enticing because it's so weird because it's like, who's trying to invent their own internet. And I think, Again, there's a lot of practical reasons for why you would want to do that. And for I think there's a genuine need for that mm-hmm. just because people are just trying to de-hex their mind from this constant. I think, you know, the expanse of information is really, really bad for people. And I think people just need to boil things down and we should exist in echo chambers. Like there's no reason not to in a certain way. So would you say that like Urbit is an echo chamber of sorts or? It's at least least a a conscious simplification of many of the aspects of the internet. So uh, Urbit is a full 
uh, sort of Turing complete computer that is mm. based on several core functions that ultimately can be, you know, uh, etched on a silicon chip and you can just run uh, an Urbit computer directly without any other dependencies. Uh, that being said, right now, uh, we refer to Urbit as a virtual operating system or uh, the other term used is an overlay OS. So yes. we're very much trying to say, hey, you know, suspend, suspend all knowledge of the internet farther down the stack. Uh, you can enter, call it the Urbit envelope. And within this Urbit envelope, there's one, exactly one new language that you learn uh, called Hoon. And we threw away all of the vocabulary of the old internet. We have a new vocabulary to imply that, you know, things are new here. Uh, we even did something as, as basic as, uh, but I think symbolic as uh, reversing, and, and this is a, a good illustrative example. We reversed the definitions uh, of the Booleans. So on Urbit, uh, zero is true and one is false. So things like that uh, are pointers to the fact that, you know, this is an entirely uh, new mental model for an yeah. internet. You, yeah, it's you, like a pocket you universe. Exactly. You don't need to, you don't need to arrive with uh, baggage for uh, like of, of the knowledge of the way that old systems used to run. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I may be some somewhat of a, you know, a, sort of a user testimony here. I mean, I've been able to pick up some hoon myself. Uh, and, you know, I certainly, you know, I practically flunked uh, CS 101 in college. So, yeah, you know, it, it just, it just works. Yeah, there's a, a really frequent metaphor used when describing Hoon and the general technical depth of uh, Urban itself, which is that you uh, see a dark pool and you're afraid to step into it out of fear of, you know, plunging into it and drowning. Um, but the moment you dip a toe in, you realize that the pool is three inches deep, you know. This is a, the, the common uh, sort of a story that's told about what the sort of technical depth of uh, Urban is in general. It does have a sort of a acrylic-like quality <laughs> or uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, the language looks uh, a little bit Baroque, like hard to perceive. The letter forms aren't the same as the ones I'm used to. And yet a lot of the structural qualities of the actual language itself are just very solid. They're very uniform. And uh, you frequently hear from a lot of uh, Hoon uh, familiar developers that it feels very mechanically um, sort of uh, like uh, precise in the sense that one is almost like using a mechanical calculator. You know, it chunks in only 12 different directions. It has like two little states that you can, you know, notch it into. The feeling of working with Hoon is apparently very much the same manner in that it's a very um, sort of a, it's a machine that doesn't require a lot of thought to sort of manipulate and it does what you expect it to do. So there's a lot of magical qualities to the fact that, you know, we're starting off this, uh, what, like what is effectively like a, a nascent computer. It's like a baby computer, a baby internet. And it's starting off in this plane of uh, being purely virtual. And yet knock itself is tiny. Uh, Hoon itself is simple. And from the sort of uh, beginnings of simplicity, 
I feel like you could ask anyone on Talon, a lot of people in the community, but the end goal is for this thing to finally anneal into something, uh, you know, physical, something solid, something that yeah. does run on silicon. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. a fascinating journey. Yeah. Uh, Babby's first compiler. <laughs> yeah. No, a, a yes, philosopher I, I, I really uh, look up to, Catherine Malibu, she said something I think that may apply. She said, life imitates... Uh, the mechanical as to avoid being mechanical or something along wow. that. Uh, so, or life imitates mechanisms to avoid being mechanical. And that sounds paradoxical in a way, but at a certain point, these like top down governance systems that I think our subjectivity is trying to fight against, like the whole sort of like Lockean liberal perspective is really against any sort of um, non-sapient, intelligent process that could override um, subjectivity. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that in a lot of ways, and Land talks a, a lot about this in his, um, his essay on, on, on crypto, um, which I think is probably one of the best philosophies of cryptography ever. I mean, I haven't read that. Granted, I have not read that many, but other than like really trash ones by David Columbia and people like that. But to me, uh, I don't know if you've read that why like crypto is inherently like racist or something. Yeah, no, it's uh, I think it's, wasn't it called Bitcoin as right wing extremism? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is hilarious to me. Yeah, he he gets it. (laughs) Yeah, I totally, totally understands this thing. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if that if that makes sense to you guys. Just to to think a little bit more abstractly about the whole process. Yeah, so, the process of becoming real. That is, I'm curious which which process. I, I, the process of people sort of res, like relinquishing mm. this notion of of being as being has been prescriptive it in the past like i think millennials people like who grew up with the internet mm-hmm. they didn't grow up with the internet at a certain point like i'm a millennial i didn't have a computer until a certain age i didn't have a lot of internet access i played oregon trail and then one day i'm sort of thrust into this new sort of civilizational plane mm-hmm. where things exist in this totally different space, but I'm interacting with it in real time. I think that explains a lot of the kind of like feigned uh, detachment merged with like, uh, you know, since this like kind of like overtly sweet sincerity that people are dealing with. And I think people do not know, they don't really know which way to go. Like, I don't know if you know of that guy, Luke Turner, who cancels all these artists. He's like an Mm -hmm. heir to like a silk fortune. He was the guy who shut down LD50 and did the stuff against Deanna Havas. And he is like a proponent of this thing called metamodernism, which is basically like, you're sincere when you want to be, but you're detached and, you know... Uh, ironic when it suits you as well. And it's this kind of like way of um, cultivating a a personal narrative that Mm. doesn't exist outside of the, the schism that has driven millennials, I think to almost like utter 
insanity. Like, yeah. how does this over, does this, because I've actually said like, Urbit may solve the problem of metamodernism. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I see what, yeah, no, there's a, there's a really huge problem or just sort of a scenario being like, uh, you know, described in that sort of process of oneself having been aware of a world before, you know, network society ever existed. It's one of those things that, you know, really, uh, you know, fucks you up the more you think about it. Um, like, you know, you could fixate on the fact that there was a point in time in which you couldn't immediately, uh, you know, contact someone or uh, there was a time before an algorithm literally composed, you know, what we know of as to be digital photography. That one's actually sort of like super deep rabbit hole uh, that one can get into when you come to the sort of realization that, you know, the thing that you know of as being literally just a JPEG or a PNG is like an algorithm that was, you know, developed, put into a network by someone sitting in a comfy Aeron chair somewhere in Silicon Valley. You know, like there's like a really uh, a deep sort of well of uh, of uh, of influence that runs through a lot of the the stuff that we sort of take for granted, um, and we, I mean, like the people who sort of operate on that uh, schism of uh, you know pre-internet and post-internet. Millennials, I guess, is one way to uh, to make that distinction. But yeah, man, it's a it's a one would hope that Urbit solves this to some degree. Um, the sort of a you know. A, remains to be seen, you know, how uh, well we'll be able to do that. I, I think that since the advent of, well, I mean, if you want to take it all the way back to Gutenberg, fine. But certainly since the advent of electronic communication, uh, the, the average person has been progressively inundated with more and more images to deal with every single day. And I don't just mean uh, literal, you know, uh, photographs, but I mean... Technical images as well. Yes, and concepts, uh, concepts, words, uh, what have you, uh, media. And there has really only been a, a one way, it's been a monotonic transformation of you know only importing more and more images into your life so you know the throughout you know the the rise of radio and television you know brands became so gigantic and now you know all of us define ourselves in terms of like what brands we use yeah uh, you know like i'm i'm a bmw man uh <laughs> and uh now, uh, with, with the, like, since the information, what was it called? Information superhighway of the internet. Uh, now we have just exponentially more uh, stuff to deal with every day because our friends are, you know, speaking in terms of these memified, uh, you know, concepts and events. Yeah. And we've, there's basically been, we've only been, more and more underwater uh, in terms of how, how deeply we're inundated with these on a daily basis. And from a technical perspective, uh, there's been 
virtually no rebuttal. I mean, ad block is basically the only the only rebuttal that we've oh, wow. had yeah, that's in, in like the in like the last ten years. Um, the yeah. light phone, uh, a, a small uh, like almost like meaningless rebuttal, uh, and until there's a technology that can uh, holistically not only not only address the uh, you know the the flood of images that comes from the past but also preempts the future you know hypermedias that are attacking us from the future this is so uh, crucial we we need we need basically a a firm foundation where I don't know the the human psyche can make some type of last stand. Yeah, you know it's it's funny because uh, it's it's a uh, it, it comes often up as a sort of subject or a butt of a joke that one is ever becoming more schizophrenic the longer they stay on the internet. There's this you know the classic uh, Clockwork Orange scene where you know Alex is just held uh, <laughs> yeah. held with his eyes open, yeah, yeah. forced to sort of absorb imagery, and uh, you know there's a really funny. And very specific, uh, you know, analog here to systems such as you know Twitter is a popular one, the sort of a schizophrenia uh, engine par excellence, where uh, you know in this uh, interface form you are set into a linear scrolling motion. Like the kinesthetics of it are such that you can only go into the past, uh, you can only go up into a wall, and there is no future there. You can only reblog, you can only like. You can only uh, uh, almost operate against what is, you know, uh, uh, hopefully a human being on the other end of the system in these highly restrained manners are just completely inhuman. And uh, it's one of those things that I feel we, um, while we haven't necessarily solved that interface problem, so to speak, in terms of urbit, there's a very deep infrastructural problem that I think we're beginning to chip away at in the sense that because this computer is so legible, it is so human scale, it's something that you could read in a weekend if you really, really tried. You know, it isn't so, uh, isn't so far-fetched to say that one day one will be able to conduct their interfaces as they see fit. You know, yeah. uh, you know, one could be able to sort of spin up some other means of interacting with a human being that is different from a chat or some linear scrolling mechanism, you know, right. if you learn how to program your own orbit someday. Uh, which we want to make as easy as possible. I think it's it's a meme at this point that you know the Talon guys are trying to make this opaque, obscure thing that no one can understand. Um, <laughs> we want to free people, you know. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. It's a uh, I don't know, man. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You 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 free people by having them break through the kind of atomization and alienation that the endless barrage of the technical image uh, conducts for us, and I think. You know, I, I think a lot about the theories of the technical image. I used to, you know, uh, a guy, Devor Loeffler, who's a historical anthropologist. He was kind of one of the founders of the German School of Acceleration, which is kind of, it's neither left nor right. It's it's like slaughter Dykean accelerationism, sort of. It's kind of like spiraling up center thing. But, you know, it, it would be one thing if these images uh, were not, were just, Merely, they were they were just merely representations, you know, uh, or illustrations mm -hmm. or examples of things. But they've, like you said, when you talk about personal branding and identity and the way that we ourselves, you know, it's like when you go on scroll through Tinder, it's like, are you fucking a person? Or are you fucking a, a you know a technical image? 
right? <laughs> and so I think these I think these distinctions they get they get ever so blurred at a time when I think the the standard kind of normie political domain wants to reinforce more and more binaries on people. Like I'm kind of an unabashed postmodernist. I'm like yeah, have Chief Keef as president. Uh, like, have any celebrity as president. Like, put Ke- Caitlyn Jenner up there. Like, Kanye, I just don't give a fuck. Like, the more absurd it is, the more it can shatter this fabric of the spectacle that I think a lot of people are still... It's a cope. It's a cope. And I, you see it on, on both sides of the spectrum. You see it with, like, the trad people trying to, like, you know, be, like, cottagecore tropes and, like... Uh, return spelled with a V and then you obviously see it on the like (laughs) liberal side of things and I'm just kind of like fuck all of that shit I want something completely new I don't want to deal with any of this stuff anymore I I don't want to deal with I don't want to I don't want to have to pretend like the concept of of top-down governance is going to be important in 10 15 I don't fucking know how long so if that makes any sense to you guys, just speaking almost like politically for for a minute. I mean, it's a it's a it's a certain type of revanchism. You know, we're trying to take back a a lost territory of uh, what would you call it the the freedom to hold domain over all of the images that circulate within your life. You know, the, it's maybe trite, but you know, the, the Indians in uh, North America before Europeans arrived, you know, people said, oh, well, you know, they only had, uh, you know, a relatively limited set of things to think about, like, you know, the weather, the climate, the, the food, the, the, the gods, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, when, <laughs> when people start, you know, having, you know, these highly, highly reproduced media, uh, it's, uh, it just completely shatters the, the human mind's ability to you know, keep track of all of, all of the threads of your life. Uh, how many things do you hear mentioned every day that you, never have any hope of following up on uh so many rabbit holes that gape at you uh, and you you never have the ability to you know hunt them down i mean browse wikipedia for 10 minutes and you'll learn one thing and but beyond that you'll learn that there are 50 things that you know nothing about yeah yeah the uh there's a i think there's a very specific take one could, uh, one could, uh, or maybe a very specific point of view that one could have in the construction of interfaces, which is that what I'm building here for you, the end user, is an image for you to sort of slot into easily and smoothly, um, uh, like into a set of restraints. And uh, there's a, you know, I, I wouldn't consider it a hot take, but it's definitely a take that maybe throws people for a loop. But one could very, very, very strongly construe, in my opinion, that the design of interfaces is the design of sense organs, you know? Yeah. And that this isn't like a metaphor. This isn't a, uh, a, a, 
a, a language that I'm using, like this is a very literal fact, is the fact that uh, the, the means by which I am communicating with you all here, uh, you know, it's, it's a sort of McLuhan-like uh, uh, notion of, of sort of media as the bodily extension. You know, you, you sort of take that to its, its extreme and what you could see Urbit doing as a very deep uh, sort of project is that assembling of a body that actually is yours, yeah. which sounds so stupid um, to a lot of people. Uh, but you know what? But it's like what is using the- right now? None of this is, is us. None of this is yours. None of this is you, and uh, none of it is self-assembled. You yeah. know, um, it, it, as opposed know. to the alternate, which is like Cronenberg's Videodrome. Exactly. You, you know, exactly. which I which I think the sort of like Ballardian uh, Cronenberg uh, yeah. sort of harrowing tech, techno nightmare scenario, mm-hmm. I think, is kind of what people now associate are starting to associate with like, it's a spectral mind rape, you know, of like different voices, mm-hmm. different, um, you know, cybernetic spirits, uh, sort of like living around trapped inside of your mind, like a haunted house. I, I, I think that there's, I think people in general are, especially after a year of COVID lockdown, were really not primed for this. And I, I and, and I think again, like not to, not to repeat this, but like solving these problems, I think is, is, I think it's a really daunting task. And I'm obviously very grateful to you guys for, for trying that out and, and actually like taking it, taking the ris- the, the rigorous measures to actually go through and do something like this. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to start. It's almost like, how do you get, how do you get people um, how do you expand it outward or something? I'm not sure. I mean, that's a classic problem. You know, how to, how to build awareness of the fact that a, a body you can own exists. Yeah. Oh man, I don't even know. I don't even know where to begin. It, it almost <laughs> sells itself, right? But, but, for, but, for, but for, for, for it to really sell itself, people have to be aware that the, that the body that they have is not one that they own. Like yeah. that, that it's, it's almost like a way of reclaiming your, your, your subjectivity. Yeah. Oh man, reclaiming your subjectivity is a really good way of putting it. It's a, it's a fact that like, uh, you know, uh, I look, you know, maybe around my left shoulder and I see this, you know, insectoid growth uh, growing out of my back and hey, that's my uh, Twitter account. You know, it's like, uh, it's trying to remind, I, I feel like one of the sort of more difficult problems we're going to have to uh, come about solving just in terms of a purely storytelling manner uh, is this notion that, you know, what you are, uh, um, when using these systems is just like, you know, uh, terrifying in a way, you know, I think there's frequently the, the sort of desire by a lot of people who occupy this space that we do that, oh, privacy, data, oh, you know, your, your pictures that you don't want anyone to see. These are the things you should care about. And this is still boiling down the essential uh, nature of who a person is using a network system as being just a sort of trader of photos or a trader of images. Um, when in fact you are a, a fucking living thing, an animal who happens to be using this thing that uh, is totally inhuman, you know? Um, and? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck. Just, uh, yeah, get, get worked up about, or I, I get worked up about the whole sort of self-owned nature of, of oneself on the internet, you know? It's, uh, it's important shit. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I had my appendix removed, so... I'd like to know one day what it's like to gain gain a new 
gain a new psychic appendix yeah man. for uh, just f- filtering filtering uh i don't know the the internet down to a an entirely understandable <laughs> set of set of things yeah it what what's actually scary is that uh you know you can you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink our i think we've finally with the zoomers arrived at a generation that actually doesn't care at all about uh about how utterly you know blasted their dopamine receptors are uh they just you know they listen to grimes and basically just revel in the absolute deterritorialization of <laughs> just everything they they see and interpret that's that's why I like them so much. That's why I have well, a lot. Of, I, that's why I, I have mean, a lot of hope for them. I mean, they're they're. It's like it's very cynical, I guess. Is it though? They're, I mean, it, it's. I I feel like TikTokers, uh, TikTokers who just are you know hurriedly trying to mint some NFTs right now. That's like <laughs> that's like our generation's version of. Um, like the guy with the what is it the ace of spades in his helmet like in Vietnam, uh, it's like where it's just like oh I forget what what's that say what's that thing in the, uh, the born full, to die the full, the full metal jacket helmet it's I think born to die yeah um, it's basically like you know born to be uh, born to just have your soul slowly sucked out by uh, the algorithm. Yeah, it is pretty fascinating. It is. There's, there is there's no pre-knowledge of like a time back when you didn't have this this uh this massive fucking psychic, you know, entity uh, you know, at you at all times. Yeah. No, and I think I think it's kind of I think it's strange because on one hand, you have people who are, you know, fully against agency and then you have mm-hmm. the people who are sort of like uh I guess, proponents of this concept of inhumanism, like the mm. neo-rationalists and resonant Garistani, and I have a lot of disagreements with them. And because, and then you have the kind of like, you know, the machinic autonomist kind of people who are like, we have no subjectivity because to have subjectivity would make you like a lame, overtly uh, like puckish sentimental person, right? But I think the the way that I see this kind of like third inter- iteration of a sort of streamlined, simplified um, internet that is so open source is that if it gains enough traction, there can be a new way to, to not just like gain your like human autonomy, but your political autonomy and all, all different kinds of autonomy that don't exist um, within this kind of, like I said, discursive framework that we're sure. living in, because dialectics, I think, are dead. I mean, when we talk about like the dialectical process and Marx and materialism, that would all work if we didn't have this, if we didn't have cybernetic systems or things that are sort of like, like automating these conversations to basically like uh just a total like it just sounds like a nep to me 
to try to even have these conversations when these platforms are also taking these conversations and then creating these these like auto, like autonomous systems based on the conversations that are taking place so you can yeah. never really exit that thing like there so the dialectical component of whatever you're talking about like the thing that i really hate is when people are just like using social media to go back and forth about politics it's like that's like the dumbest shit ever to me it's I, empty it's, it's just a yeah. completely empty it's just toothless um yeah. so how do you solve that <laughs> oh man can it be solved uh, i mean i don't even know if that's uh that's on the table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all I can say is that the spirit of a uh, crypto anarchism runs deep in orbit. You could say that that's sort of like it's a, uh, it's founding sort of a, uh, you know, the, the, the river in which it runs, so Timothy to speak. May. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, classic, yeah. you know, classic shit. That was, that was actually an outtake. Uh, in I, I think I ultimately mentioned it the other day in the Bitcoin uh, mm. demo presentation, but I, I was originally it was originally front and center in my remarks, uh, and I, I didn't want to I didn't want to clobber people too hard with ideology right off the bat. But uh, the oh, go for it! I love the, this the shit. process. <laughs> the, uh, well, I mean, I've I've read some Timothy May enough to enough to like him, but really, you can avoid all of his writings in favor of just his email signature which is this list, this descriptive list of basically the historical, the historical antecedents to the eventual crypto anarchy. So it begins with uh, encryption and then in, in basic building block fashion, it goes up from there. So it goes encryption, which you know, Phil Zimmerman has secured for us. Uh, now we, then it goes on to digital money. So thank you, Satoshi. Then up from there, uh, digital identity. You could argue that that's what the Urbit ID system uh, can represent. Though I guess many, there have been many, with each, with each of these, there have been many failed attempts and failed sort of stabs at the primitive. So, you know, Bitcoin was, I don't know, number, number 10 in a long line of, uh, you know, attempts at creating cryptocurrency. So we have Urbit as our hypothesis of what a workable uh, digital identity would be. And then from there, you can get into, when you start combining these things in novel ways, you know, you can get cryptographic reputations. So you can basically begin trusting people in on the internet in a very pure, uh, you know, un- uh, <laughs> disintermediated if if we'll use the word uh type of way and then from there on it's uh you know, you know anonymous anonymous uh routing uh and then et cetera et cetera up on to uh information markets black markets and at that point you know you're you're basically at the apotheosis of crypto anarchy you can effectively you can effectively route all of the uh classical liberal, uh, you know, I guess, conceptions of rights just through these uh, digital networks that are, are being, you know, run uh, on a peer-to-peer -peer basis. So I think that that's, 
that's been that that helps at least me locate Urbit and Bitcoin as far as like the the historical phenomenon yeah. of uh, of uh, of all of this, and perhaps it hints at where where we may be going. So, I say information markets. Uh, you know, Apple Music is an information market. They're like, oh, you want you want uh, you want uh, Ariel Pink's latest? Well, you know that's that's some information that we'll sell you. Uh, you want uh, you know whatever suppressed suppressed uh, data set from the Israeli uh, COVID vaccine study? You know, all right, well, well there's a price for that too. Uh, we can, and then you, you can take that on, uh, you know, further once people are selling just goods wholesale, uh, you know, all the way, all the way up. So basically if, if Urbit works, if, and if Bitcoin works, I think we have a, I think we have a clear avenue perhaps out of the labyrinth, uh, but you know, it's still a, it's still a jolly mission to, to physically walk it. Absolutely. I think uh, to the credit of a lot of the people at uh, Talon, uh, certainly, but a lot of people in the community, there's full acknowledgement. Uh, There's full self-awareness that this project is absolutely insane. Um, In every single That's what I like about it. It's so quirked up. It's like genuinely quirked up and insane, which is why I trust it, because I think if you just get in the center of if you ground yourself in total entropy and insanity, I think that's when all the good, cool stuff happens in your life. And it's sort of like an antidote to the kind of low vibrational black pill people are taking. And I get called a nihilist all the time, which is like weird. People are saying like my whole media thing is like a nihilist e-girl like dark anti-humanist thing and it's like no bitch like i'm just trying to like do what is fun and interesting and you know show people that maybe that there's some like options on the table that they weren't possibly they could quite possibly not be aware of because you want to sort of get on the cusp of something that's interesting and it is growing and expanding instead of being like somebody who's like kind of like late to the circus because you played it too safe. You know, you kind yeah. of, you want to, you want to be inside, inside the circus, you know, you may get trampled by an elephant, but like who fucking cares? It's the spice of life, right? <laughs> you know, spice of life indeed. Yeah, I mean, uh, one could easily liken a lot of the uh, networks that we inhabit these days to uh, long dead uh, bodies in a way, you know, yeah. all uh, all possibility has been effectively squashed out. The uh, networking, the protocol, the interface limitations set into place um, in completely obscured fashion are, are lying there, uh, you know, static and effectively dead. And uh, I don't know, it's one of the more inspiring uh, places to be located right now in a world where uh, even a lot of what would be otherwise considered cutting edge out in what is known as, uh, you know, Web3 space or whatever is still, uh, it's a lot of it is, uh, um, it has the smell of rot on it, so to speak. You know, I think the, uh, the notion of NFTs as they have been very popularly hyped in recent times is a great example of just 
yet another novel technology being used to replicate. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a total there's a total yeah. necrotism to NFTs, which is why absolutely. I'm absolutely. I'm very like my personal philosophy is like I'm very bullish on crypto. Um, even though personally, I could have some more money in there. Uh, I'm I'm sort of not. You could, you could always have more in, but you could also you know I'm not. I'm not a finance person, so I, I'm just conceptually, I'm very for it. Um, I'm very pro-urbit. But NFTs, in the sort of artistic sense, I think it's like a, I, I fucking think it's a total joke. Like no, just, it's, it's bankrupt, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's getting it's, money when you can, you know, that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Like a friend of mine, a friend of mine wrote a, a pretty interesting article on NFTs that, that kind of, got a lot of circulation he was like kind of the first guy to point out he's like look this is just these are these are people who are just trying to resurrect their post-internet art careers like aids 3d and k-hole and the whole sort of like norm core trend of the early uh 2010s it's like a way for people to sort of like resurrect their career now that post-internet art is kind of like it's lost it's it shine a little bit and people had actually moved into things like decentralized finance. And now they're trying to merge those two things together. And it's, it's not anything new. Like there's nothing new or interesting. There's no possibility there. All you're doing, it's like Thomas Kincaid or something like that. All you're doing is opening is replicating something and, and creating an entirely new market. Like Thomas Kincaid and what the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden truck driver, company owners could be uh, art collectors. And he sort of like uh, democratized like art collecting, but in the same process, it's like, it's still the same capital. Like it's, it's, so it doesn't, it doesn't really make any difference. It's not actually fundamentally changing our relationship to art or the object, which I'm almost like a total post art person, like that nothing could even possibly be art that like Trump was the last performance artist and now no art can really exist, which I'm also <laughs> fine with. And it's given way to what we call the creator economy now, but also what's wrong with being a creator. Why is being an artist better than being a creator? Like, isn't a being a creator, the best thing, the most beautiful thing you could possibly be like, what's wrong with that? Sorry, sorry, sorry to go on a, on a, on a tangent. No, no, no. I mean, you, you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to sort of like bite into here. You know, I think one thing that I am uh, relatively heavily aligned with is some notion that a lot of what we possibly construed as the creation of art or the art act could be possibly made parallel to what the uh, transition from alchemy to chemistry was in the sense that alchemy, I like that, like as a sort of profession or as a sort of deep well of knowledge was sort of instrumentalized into something that was then become institution that was become like a, like, you know, the, the, the sort of university, the job, the pharmaceuticals, whatever, you know, it's instrumentalized towards like utilitarian ends. And in a similar sense, it's like, okay, well, you know, the, the, uh, the act of graphic design, the act of art, uh, these things are alchemy now, you know, they, for all intents and purposes in terms of meaning or like, you know, deeper human, uh, what it means to be someone who practices these things, it's old, you know, it's an old hat sort of notion. And uh, we've now entered the age of chemistry with whatever the fuck uh, art making and visual making is. I joke often a lot that uh, this is something not to take seriously for anyone listening or even for you know you all, but I like to joke often that ideally Talon as a sort of designer organization would never 
ever hire a graphic designer for the sole reason that that sort of method by which one uh, construes the, the visual world is, is old. It's old hat. We need people without eyes. We need people with, you know, some new notion of a sensing mechanism to sort of translate, you know, whatever the fuck is going on out there into a visual artifact. You know, we need something else beyond what has been uh, called these these old arts. So what I don't know. What do you think that stuff. thing is? As as a as a kind of amateur designer myself, what do <laughs> Uh, no, I mean it's 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 a good question. Is it, I mean, is I, it, are you looking for like outsider artists? Are you looking for people who are like not within the field of design? Because I definitely think people who go through these kind of like yeah yeah these institutional design programs, I think they have mm-hmm. a pretty bad sensibility that's framed mm-hmm. by the kind of like sterile, mundane typography that they're supposed to know all these different things about. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's ultimately really uninteresting. And why, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not to say that like the outsider artist is, is needed. They're, they're eternally needed or whatever the hell they take on the form of in the future. I think it's, uh, the, I think the very deep realization to be made about the development of what we know as the internet is something that was rooted in, visual practices that themselves were made manifest through the the art of uh, of advertising of selling goods of of sort of uh enacting commerce through you know a, a sort of media uh pure manner and in this way the internet that we currently use is dominated by this visual act you know the act of making something into an image and in a way it's like I guess like where I see myself being maybe foolishly interested in is what the internet may have looked like if it was wholly based on sound or music as a transmission method or, uh, you know, any of the other rich senses that we have access to. There is a world or a parallel world, uh, another reality in which the internet was never made into something that you could see and is only something you could hear, you know, like that's the shit that I'm super into. It's not very practical, for uh, hiring purposes, or for anyone who's listening who cares to, uh, on my own thought of what that is, but you know, I, there is another world out there where uh, interfaces or what we know as networked media isn't something that is uh, an image, more or less. Even in this sort of like capital I image sense, you know, there are there are other senses we have to work with that we could have based everything off on. Mm-hmm. So well, yeah, if if we had the internet of sound, it would just sound like a like the Raymond Scott. Uh, you know, auto light <laughs> spark plug ad. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, you'd, you'd, it, could, it, you'd it would log be on. possibly be worse. Yeah, exactly. you'd, you'd log on and there would be a choir saying, uh, "Trending now, trending now." <laughs> uh, it's terrifying, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I don't know. There's a there's a there's a gist to what I'm sort of you know roughly uh, illustrating here, but uh, yeah, you know. no, definitely. Um, no, that's that's really good. Hey, Christian, I have a question. So for yes. people who don't know, Christian is the Bitcoin sign guy. He held okay. up a sign that said, buy, <laughs> bi- buy crypto, buy Bitcoin. No, I did not say buy crypto. <laughs> what, wait, what, what did it say? Here we go again. It said, no. It I said know you don't have to explain this story, dude. I, uh, I get I'm, it. I'm, 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 I'm sorry for my recalcitrance. No, 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 no. I, I can tell, tell you're sick of it. We, we don't have to go there. No, no. Well, it, it's funny because, uh, like, uh, perhaps is like my. Are you trying to escape? Are you trying to escape the meme that? Oh yes, you no. It, yeah. it it actually it actually put me into hiding for like two years because. Oh shit! I didn't I didn't want to bring you know dishonor to fam to family. Uh, 
basically, I, I, I wanted to get into Bitcoin before that incident. And in many ways, it helped me get into Bitcoin. But then uh, I was sort of so spooked by it that uh, it like retarded my identity formation within the, the Bitcoin space, where it's like I only was known by like that moniker and not by <laughs> not by my Christian name. Yeah. Uh, pun intended. So I, you know, I'm, I'm at peace with, uh, you know, my, my dual identity now. And, you know, it's, it has been uh, sort of a fun opportunity to like play, to play with the, the name and uh, I don't know, try to derive a little joy out of, uh, you know, the, the twilight of fiat culture I I, uh, I even made a little artwork uh, related to this related to the uh, sign, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe more of that will be visible in the future. But yeah, the the sign was an an interesting episode. It certainly accelerated my uh, <laughs> my participation in Bitcoin. So I have to be uh, you know grateful to uh god for that <laughs> bit of serendipity um but if i could uh, go back actually to the uh to the art um the the space for art you know everyone wants a studio uh galen's uh art the talon ceo he has a wood shop that he lets uh some of the employees here uh use from time to time you know, like everyone needs a everyone needs an avenue to uh you know get get making whatever their their shit is i like the john mouse quote of uh that utopia is just everyone sitting around uh playing their tapes or whatever their tapes are so in the case of you know like the kid who's just into the military industrial complex they they make a missile but just to shoot it at the wall <laughs> <laughs> oh wow which uh i i always think about uh you know when when we're talking about returning to a a less hysterical uh, mode of art production that it, i don't know if uh i think that art for art's sake maybe is a little too solipsistic uh because there've always been there've always been motivations to make art that are external uh, I mean, for the in the beginning of Western art, it was like the patronage of the church yeah. was the was the motivating factor. Then you just had uh, you know through the Renaissance, then you had just literal patrons of the art. So I mean, money was always in the equation somewhere, um, and I think that the the heavily the heavily financialized art art world, art scene, uh, auction house hmm. scene that, that we exist today, yeah. uh, that exists today is now being uh, cleverly aped by the NFT crowd um, where they're basically, you know, the art world is crying out at NFTs. They're, they're so, they're so butt mad about it because the kids are doing exactly what, you know, people with art history degrees have, have done for the last uh, 50 years, which is, you know, cultivate this weird, uh, you know, like scarcity of, you know, artistic value. Um, 
And I think that we, we finally have the, uh, the uh, enough studio space, so to speak, to evolve past that. I mean, you go to band camp and there's just, there's so much pure creative stuff out there that isn't even, uh, it's like hopelessly, it, it's like hopeless to even monetize it. You know, it's just like, there's probably been like a, over a thousand, like halfway decent attempts at a vaporwave album. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like how uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to just uh, make the thing that you enjoy making. It's true. Yeah. No. And I think, I definitely think more people should do that. Um, I, I, it's, and it's so funny. It's like, if, if you just tell people to make the thing that they enjoy making and not, you know, be somebody who's just sitting there, you know, analyzing things. And I think that, you know, kind of taking on this like New York mentality of, of, uh, it's, I think it's a, like a New York city thing. Like this yeah, kind like of, of like, having to have a show, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. You gotta, you gotta come down to the scene. Gotta, they gotta dig your stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you know, people used to just uh, have folk craft, and that was really nice. Yeah, totally. You know, there's, there's an entire, you know, that that used to be what the artist, that, that used to be what art, uh, primarily involved was like, you know, yeah, uh, the knitting, knitting a family member a sweater, or. Yeah. Uh, you know, making a wooden toy for your, for your child. You know, that's actually what Curtis is uh, he, in, in the sort of Curtis's theory of like the post scarcity world. It's like, Oh, well, everyone just makes a uh, high quality wooden toys for children. That's <laughs> like the unemployment program. <laughs> when the robots, when the robots do all the labor, but you know, that's nice. It's uh, a beautiful vision. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting too. Like as a as a musician who is like putting art out there in general, like one is laid to have to sort of compete almost by definition of of having to exist in a network that is managed by some central sort of uh, entity or some service. Uh, I think one of the interesting like patterns I've been seeing emerge out of the way that we handle groups and sort of the emergence of communities on urban is that they do become very highly uh, like localized in a way, which maybe is, is obvious, but uh, you do see these like micro cultures that are already beginning to form within groups, um, especially the ones that are more oriented towards creativity. And you can imagine a world where as soon as we unlock the ability to more visually de depict media uh, somehow, like be able to listen to music natively in the thing, be able to pay for it possibly, or tip someone for their work, well, I feel like we're going to have something really interesting on our hands. It's like this really interesting emergence of very local like markets, very local uh, means of production. It's going to be uh, pretty fascinating, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I definitely think that uh, there there's so many different things that can that can happen. And it's. Uh... <coughs> oh, sorry, I had to sneeze so bad, but, you know, entropy is real. <laughs> <laughs> and uh in more ways than one and you know you never you never know when you have to sneeze you, you'll you'll never know um but yeah um this has been really really good i'm not sure how how long you guys have or if you is there anything else you guys wanted to discuss any any future projects like 
what do you think uh what do you think people want to want to hear about just to get them get them involved and get them more uh acclimated to this new this thing that I think is new. It's not like NFTs where it's not actually new. This, I think this thing is new. So sure. Well, maybe if I maybe I misinterpret your audience by suggesting you know a purely you know sort of corporate entrepreneurialism, but if you want to get involved on Urbit to help design or create, bring any of these systems to life, not only could it be, in my uh, hypothesis, a very rewarding work, uh, but it, it's, it might be actually the last time that you could, ever, uh, you could ever monetize this sort of work in a way, if we are to believe that Urbit is just a, going to ossify into this beautiful like, set of protocols that you know, serve like, purposes like for, for the next century, like digital purposes for the next century. Um, this, uh, this could be a way to, I don't know, have, have I guess, a, a lasting impact on human-relating human um, and also potentially like the, uh, in this final gasp as, the, uh, as all of the you know, databases are sprung open. This is, this is the final, the final looting, so to speak. So yeah. uh, with Bitcoin on Urbit, um, you know, every, every SaaS service that's worth anything will find its peer-to-peer -peer analog on Urbit. Um, you basically get one final crack at the bastards and then, uh, and then we can get back to the studio. <laughs> yeah. I want to I want to do that. I want to make some money on Urbit. <laughs> Soon, man. Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's cool. Um, let's see. Six thirty. Yeah. What about What about you, Ed? Uh, I I mean, I don't mean to you know encourage such wanton uh, corporate behavior. <laughs> no, it's but, it's true. Uh, you know, there's a there's a vast fun to be had and vast impact, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. In the words of a uh, Cody Wilson in America simply utter simply let people know that you're an agent of capital and doors will open for you or something like that. he said that <laughs> oh wow uh it, it was something something to do with uh you know his uh his like 3d printer being repossessed and uh like they oh wow the company the company was worried that he was a uh that he was you know just a hobbyist or you know some some crypto anarchist you know, loser basically. But then when, it, when you, when you start telling them in legalese that, Oh, well, we intend to sell this, you know, the, their yeah. tune changes. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, well, I mean, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, I, if you, I don't know, uh, we, we can end it at six thirty. Um, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we'll tell your, uh, to, just to again, be, uh, you know, unabashedly enterprising here uh go go for it we we definitely uh as you know sworn sworn gatekeepers to urbit right now uh <laughs> we we want to uh invite your very cool very clued in very uh you know the, your modern day beatnik friends uh on board urbit so uh the we'll we'll send you a link where you can uh where you can 
funnel them our way. Yeah. And uh, Ed and I will take care of them. Cool. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah. To Herbert's embrace. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you, um, that's great. Let me, um, that's, that sounds like a pretty good place to stop.